Welcome to the Futurist Public Intellectual. My first episode about a substantive issue will be about abortion. Not only has this issue come to the cultural forefront due to the Supreme Court case Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, abortion symbolizes so much about what the United States is really about. Conversely, the Japanese's aloofness to abortion similarly reveals so much about what it means to be Japanese. To understand abortion is to understand the very meaning of life itself. That is what we're going to explore today. Roe v. Wade has always been a problematic case since its inception. You know something is wrong when even the staunch supporter of abortion, Justice Ginsburg, has publicly stated that Roe has quote, halted a political process that was moving in a reform direction and thereby, I believe, prolonged divisiveness and deferred stable settlement of the issue, end quote. These words are haunting because they are so descriptive of the other rights that were derived from the right to privacy. We need to begin with the U.S. Constitution, It does not explicitly enumerate a right to privacy, not in the original text, nor in any of its amendments. Therefore, the only way Roe was able to legalize abortion nationally in 1973 was to claim that there was an implicit right to privacy provided by the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. The problem is that creating a substantive right is a legislative act a power that is not within the purview of the judiciary. The Roe court sowed the seeds of its overruling by creating a new right. Let's talk about the irony that people don't really talk about much. We need to remember that the most powerful branch of the U.S. government is the legislative branch, i.e. Congress. Considering that conservatives spent 49 years trying to overturn Roe, you would think that the liberals would have given the fragile right to privacy a stronger legal foundation than the due process clause. You see, if Congress had actually tried to pass a federal law, or even better, a constitutional amendment codifying the right to privacy in the 49 years after Roe, then Dobbs could have been avoided. It's rather ludicrous that the liberals simply assumed that the abortion debate was over and literally did nothing for decades. Since the right to privacy was a judicially created right, it makes sense that the judiciary could also take it away. Judges can't do that with a legislatively created right. Well, one that doesn't contravene the Constitution, of course. Before we go any further, I need to address a pet peeve of mine. Soon after the Dobbs opinion was published, the media kept using, and continues to use, the phrase post-Roe to refer to our current reality. The correct expression would be post-Dobbs, since we are living in a time after Dobbs has come into effect. The post-Roe period is from 1973 to 2022. If you don't understand what I'm saying, I suggest that you study English a little more and return to this podcast. 
Despite the uproar about the current Supreme Court taking away a right, Roe was, in fact, unconstitutional. Constitutionality is a simple principle, particularly in terms of substantive rights. Due to the Tenth Amendment, anything that is not mentioned in the Constitution is reserved for the states. Therefore, at the federal level, rights exist only because the Constitution says they do. The extent of those rights can certainly be debated and is a matter of statutory interpretation by the Supreme Court, but the existence of those rights is not really up for discussion. Since the Constitution does not mention a right to privacy from which the right to abortion allegedly derives, it was important for the liberals to have passed something in the past 50 years instead of just assuming that Roe was safe from being overturned. They assumed that Roe was now precedent, but as we know with situations like legalized racial segregation in the early 20th century, subsequent cases can always overturn previously erroneous rulings. No law, not even the Constitution, is ever irrevocable. In a country where power is vested in the people, one must never forget that. Let's take a moment here to look at the Japanese. To them, abortion is a non-issue. The main cause of this nonchalance is their religious background. Most Japanese are either Buddhist, Shinto, or a mix of both. Since there is an acceptance of reincarnation, abortion is simply the prevention of a particular embodiment. If the soul cannot physically incarnate into this life, it will just be reborn elsewhere at another time. You cannot really harm the soul through abortion. Abortion is thus, understandably, not a divisive social issue. On the other hand, the majority of Americans are Christian. Considering our related qualms about stem cell research, most Americans, even a-religious ones, value human life in a precious way. There's a deep Judeo-Christian value that is placed on the propagation of the human species, and so children are not merely temporary embodiments of a soul. A child's existence is a testament of God's will. To snuff it out is to thwart God. Unless one is truly so anti-religion that you think that all religion should be eradicated from the earth, Valuing human life, and specifically children, is a legitimate belief. If an anti-abortion position is an expression of that sincerely held belief, there is no reason not to respect that person's belief in a pluralistic, secular society like ours. Take Mississippi, the state that was sued in Dobbs. According to the Pew Research Center, over 80% of the Mississippi population is Christian. It would be hardly surprising that abortion is vilified in the state. On the other hand, around 46% of Californians are religious. That means less than half the population adheres to any religion at all, regardless of the religion's position on abortion. Of course, California is going to have a more laissez-faire attitude towards abortion. Since the First Amendment vigilantly protects sincerely held beliefs and the Tenth Amendment reserves all unenumerated powers to the states, 
the regulation of abortion in accordance to the wishes of the political majority in each state is utterly constitutional. The federal government has not been granted the right to regulate abortion by the states, so that power is naturally reserved for the states. Furthermore, I think it's important to note that the Mississippi law at issue in Dobbs prohibits abortions after 15 weeks. Do you know how long that is? Over three months. Considering that a pregnant mother would have missed several menstrual cycles at this point, even the most oblivious woman would realize that she's probably pregnant. The point is that the Mississippi law is not banning abortion per se. It's simply drawing a line in the sand and saying that you have one-third of your pregnancy to decide whether you're going to keep the child. If you don't decide before week 15, Mississippi is saying that you need to keep the baby. Remember, the pregnant mother, even if she procrastinates on this harrowing decision, can still opt out on being a mother if she truly wants to. She can give up her child for adoption. Since the mother can decide to get an abortion, even in Mississippi, within several months of conception, it's hard to view Mississippi's law as unreasonable or unrepresentative of its population. As you can see, both legally and culturally, the overruling of Roe was always in the cards. What's more important to understand than realizing that Dobbs was eminently foreseeable is that the post-Dobbs reality is objectively the more American one. The whole point of having so many states in one country is because plurality is the name of the game. In fact, if you look on the American dollar, you will see our motto, a pluribus unum. Diversity is a central American value. For a country born out of revolution, dissent runs in our veins. Just like each state gets to determine its health standards, educational requirements, and criminal laws, regulating abortion in their own unique way is nothing short of American. There is no particular significance in achieving uniformity in abortion laws in the United States. Some people are zealous about abortion being available to everyone everywhere, but there are plenty of Christian-majority states where many Americans sincerely believe that their pregnancy, whatever its cause, is a gift from God. Abortion doesn't even cross their minds. Not the pregnant mother, not her family, not her friends. Once we start to accept that there are people out there who have different values from ourselves— then the self-determination that Dobbs returns to the states is a triumph of American democracy. But what about the minority who is not Christian and wants to get an abortion in a state that has either outlawed or heavily restricted abortion? Like I've acknowledged in episode one, I think it is important in a democracy to recognize the legitimacy of the majoritarian view. If you only believe in democracy when it goes your way, then you don't actually believe in democracy. 
living in a democratic society means that even if most things are in line with your preferences, some things won't be. And those things must be respected because those things work for other people. If Americans would return to accepting that the price of democracy is tolerance of other people's preferences, then the type of polarized politics that we see today would be significantly mitigated. In light of this, the answer to the question about the person who wants to get an abortion in a state that has banned abortion is for that person to travel to a state that allows abortion. In principle, it's no different than traveling to Las Vegas to gamble if your state restricts casino gambling or traveling to Oregon if you want access to legal assisted suicide. While obviously there is a personal cost to this situation as compared to unfettered access to abortion, respecting the plurality of views on abortion is an important part of civilly participating in American democracy. In order for women to get abortions who do not have the financial means to travel, both nonprofits and an underground railroad of sorts would need to step in to provide the infrastructure to facilitate these women's abortions. While this sounds rather cumbersome, American democracy is cumbersome because it's so good at protecting plurality. Dobbs is the beginning of an overdue correction. If the Supreme Court continues on this trajectory, then we will be entering a new era of constitutional fidelity. While the liberals are too busy being angry at the conservatives, what they don't seem to understand is that while this era is driven by the conservatives, the liberals should view the situation as an opportunity. It's an opportunity because the zeitgeist is in the liberals' favor. In my opinion, the reason there was no red wave during the November 2022 elections is because millennials and Gen Zers are significantly more liberal than previous generations. With their voting prowess, there certainly could have been a red wave. If the liberals would actually propose a constitutional amendment that either enshrines a right to privacy or a more narrow right to abortion, then abortion would be secured for every American, regardless of whether they exercise it. Such a constitutional amendment has a fighting chance precisely because there are so many progressive voters. Since conservative judges always respect the text of the Constitution, they would have no choice but to acknowledge that there is a right to abortion for the entire country. The question is whether the liberals are brave enough to actually fight for abortion instead of just virtue signaling online. Thank you for listening to The Futurist Public Intellectual.